Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so happy to see you here on this beautiful morning. We're going to go ahead and get started with worship. So if you'd like to stand, I'll invite you to stand right now if you're able.
Oh 
but I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my Almighty God, we gather today on the first Sunday after Easter to continue our celebration of Jesus' ministry, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. This is also the first Sunday after Earth Day. The book of Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and saw it was good. We call upon you, our creator of heaven, earth, and life, to help us recognize the action of our short lives as integral and worthy within the years past and the future generations to come. We pray for an end to the waste and desecration of your creation. We pray that you inspire us to use the rich, riches of your creation with wisdom and to ensure that their blessings are shared by all. 
Finally, we ask that all people may be empowered to seek freedom from poverty, famine, oppression, and more. Help us to be receptive and responsive to Pastor Steve's message this morning and to renew our promises and efforts to respect your creation. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing today? Yeah? Hope everybody's awake in here this morning. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Youth Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. And I want to welcome everybody here to our wonderful church service this Sunday morning. You know, one of the things that I kind of realized after going through Easter Sunday last week is just the realization of how many or how little new friends I've met over the last two years. I don't know about you guys, but being locked away in a pandemic, just being introduced to new people was not something that I was aware of. So it was so wonderful and joyful just to meet so many new people to meet so many new friends. I, I have a couple of people that I've just been talking to this week, and it's been wonderful just to, just to meet new people. So my prayer for our church this week is that everybody would meet a new friend, that everybody would find somebody that they haven't connected with in a long time or maybe never before and just have that new, wonderful, joyous connection. As an introvert, I don't always celebrate that. So I, I hope this week that everybody meets a new friend. Uh, as I said, my name is Ryan Sylvia. On your way in, you should have received one of these wonderful new bulletins. If you may not have noticed, our designer did such a good job. The seam is even hidden, but if you notice right in the middle, there's a little perforation that will tear right in half. Our prayer is that you would take this top half home. I don't want to see any of them laying on the ground. I say this every week. If you do throw it away, just put it in the bottom of the trash can so I don't see it. Take this home. Let somebody know that we've got a wonderful congregation here. Invite them to church. Let them know that we just want to love on them. We want to celebrate who they are in Jesus Christ. So please take this home. Invite somebody to church. Let them know we've got some wonderful, fun things going on here at church. This bottom half is for us in here. I promise I'm not going to be offended if you're filling it out while I talk. But this first side says get connected with us. This is how we at La Jolla Community Church can get you plugged in in some of the fun, wonderful ministries that we have going on. Whether it's getting involved with Easter, our young adults lunch, whatever you you would like to be a part of, please take a moment, fill out this connect card so we can get you plugged in and engaged. We've got our one-year young adult anniversary happening today, so we're going to have pizza, root beer floats, and we're heading over to do a photo scavenger hunt. So if you know somebody that would like to get involved or you want to help provide some food for our young adults, we would love to have you fill this card out. On the other side, it says, let us pray for you. This is our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in lifting each other up and caring for the needs of our family. So if you've got something difficult going on in your life, Maybe you need a little extra provision this week. You spent a little too much on grandkids' Easter eggs. I totally get that. I love it. Please take a moment. Fill out this prayer card. Let us know how we can love on you. Let us know how we can love on and support your family. Or maybe you had something wonderful happen this week. Please take a moment. Let us know what's going on in your life. We have a dedicated team of prayer warriors that go over every single prayer card that gets dropped off in our boxes. So please take a moment. Fill this out. Let us know what's going on in your life. And you can take that prayer and connect card along with the offering envelope, which is in the seat back directly in front of you. And you can drop those off in the boxes mounted on the wall on your way out. Well, thank you so much for joining us. With that, I'm going to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Wow, uh, last week was fantastic. We had a great Lenten season. It was fantastic from Ash Wednesday all the way through. And uh, we're wrapping up a series that we've been doing all the way through Lent called Why Jesus? We're going to talk about um, the ascension of Jesus today. Now, Ascension Sunday uh, is celebrated this year, May 26th. So that's, that's a Thursday. So we're, we're a little bit ahead of the actual date, but because we're wrapping up 
uh, this series, Why Jesus, you can't really talk about this, this stuff we're going to talk about next, this movement, the Jesus movement, unless you talk about the ascension. Uh, and so I, I, if, as you think of that word, ascension, what comes to mind? Uh, this is probably the overlooked, underappreciated aspect of Jesus' ministry. Uh, in the creed, and he ascended into heaven. So people who are conversant with general theology would say, oh yeah, yeah I, I believe in the ascension. <clears throat> but uh, by the time we're done here today, I, I want you to be able to leave this place knowing that but for the ascension, we wouldn't be gathered here. The resurrection is the headline. Jesus rose from the dead. It's a reality. It's a headline. But it only becomes real to us because of his ascension. Let that sink in. But for the ascension, the resurrection would be merely a headline. Now, experientially, for many people, it is a headline. Yeah, the resurrection, Easter Sunday. Uh, but what about the power of Jesus released in the world and how do people experience that? That's something that's so hard to get your head around that, that it's very easy to say, yeah, I'm sure it all works out. So the ascension is Jesus rose uh, into heaven, rose from the dead, the resurrection. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he will return. We can't talk about the ascension without also talking about the return. So that's what we're going to dive into right now. Uh, the ascension, uh, in the context of time, uh, the Hebraic notion of time is there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. That's how God describes himself, and he who uh, was and is and will be. And so we live in what's called the present age. This is the age that Jesus referred to, the present age. The ascension is part of this present age. Something powerful, important is happening, culminating in this present age. Uh, the ascension is also called the heavenly session. <clears throat> I don't know if that sounds amusing to you. Uh, when I think of the word session, I, I think of um, mu musicians in a studio. Uh, session players are the people who are the best players. And uh, when you find out about these session players, these musicians, uh, go back as far as you want to go. Uh, the last 50 or 60 years, when you think of all these great musical styles, on al in almost every occasion, uh, with, with few exceptions, the session musicians are playing all those styles. So the band uh, comes up with uh, what, think, what they think and what the, that the fans think is a unique sound. Uh, and when they go to make it into a record, oftentimes the bands aren't good enough to make a good record. And so the session musicians are the ones who are actually playing or at least fortifying um, uh, what these people have come up with. A session simply means to sit. To sit. Uh, if you come out of a Presbyterian background, uh, you know that the, the governing body is called the session. Uh, it's, I always thought that was an odd term, except that it, it, it makes sense because they're seated. So to be in a session is to be seated, and it's a, it's a picture of authority. You've heard of succession. What's the succession plan? Who will be the next person seated? Right? So this heavenly session is that Jesus wraps up his ministry, his, his life, his, his ministry, teaching, preaching, uh, doing signs and wonders. He's crucified, buried, raised again from the dead, and he takes his rightful seat. Until then, he wouldn't have been qualified to take that seat. So probably if you, if you want to be annoying to most people who are theologically literate, and you say, hey, have you heard the term heavenly session? They'll say, uh, no. What is it? But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a theological term. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he rules all things. Think about that. There's no higher power to which we can turn. 
to which we can appeal. And so the ascension of Jesus is a very, very big deal. In fact, following the resurrection, Jesus encounters Mary, and she wants to grab him, of course, realizing who it is. At first she thought it was a gardener. Can you imagine what a great gardener Jesus would be? That doesn't look very good. I don't like that. You saw what he did with a fig tree that wasn't responsive. Um, but Jesus said to Mary, uh, this is John 20, uh, don't, hold on, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Rather, go tell my brothers, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I'm not sure that they would have quite understood all the implications of that, but okay, I assume that means you're leaving. Right. Now, the, the ascension ends up being connected to this thing called the parousia. God's ascension ultimately culminates in his rule and then his return. So we talk about the return of Christ, we talk about the parousia. Uh, it, it, it means the presence, the arrival. In the case of somebody who's gone and you're expecting them to come back, the parousia would be the return of that person. It's, there's nothing but wonderfulness when somebody you love has gone away and you know they're coming back. Uh, it's just so much fun to anticipate that. And you can't wait to see them. You're counting down the days and reminding yourself, when does their flight come in? or what, you know, When will I see them? Uh, so the, the parousia uh, is also called Jesus' second coming or his return. Now this is about the age to come. This is something that is going to be at the end of history. So the ascension happens in the context of what we know as history. Time. We're limited by time. We're defined by time. We understand things from the context of time. God exists outside of time. Why? Because God created time. It's a created thing. This is part of the mystery of Jesus' incarnation coming into the world. How does he, having created it, enter into it? How does the artist, having created this art, enter into the art? Profound thought, right? That God has done what is mind-boggling. He created everything and then enters into it to redeem it, to save it. So the parousia is about the age to come. It's not part of history. It's the creation after history ends. It's the recreation of heaven and earth after the, the, what we know as time and history ends. So it's the theological, not the chronological relationship between the present and the future. Why does that matter? It's the theological. That is, it's, it's God revealing what uh, this means to be in the present age and the age to come. If we try to understand it chronologically, though it, it starts in time but it ends up beyond time, what we'll try to do is nail down a bunch of dates. Uh, somebody this week reminded me uh, that they were driving um, home one night and they're listening to the radio. This guy used, uh, was a, a partner at Latham Watkins downtown. He would drive, be driving back to La Jolla and he'd listen to this, this Bible preacher, Bible teacher, and this guy was predicting the return of Christ. And my friend heard it on the radio and thought, this is outrageous. He's, he's naming the day Jesus will return. Well, then the next night he's coming back, uh, the day after that date, he's driving home and, and he, he turns on the radio, just can't wait to hear what this guy has to say. And the guy is apologizing, so, so sorry, my bad, I don't know what I was thinking. And, and he re removed himself from the air for a while. He was a great Bible teacher, but he just took that next step of trying to define the ascension and, and the parousia in terms of, and of chronology, not theology. 
we can't understand it but for God revealing it to us. I don't know if that helps you at all. But we're talking about something so big. We have to, we have to just open up our mind to a larger perspective or else we say, I can't understand it, therefore it's not important or it didn't happen. Or it just has no meaning for me. So it's the theological, not chronological relationship between the present and the future. Now, take it one more step. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? Have you ever tried to read the book of Revelation? The, this book just invites people to nail it down with chronology. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, a book came out called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And it was uh, a bombshell in terms of a bestseller. It was bombastic in terms of what it was saying. It was super influential. Lots of people became followers of Jesus because they were scared out of their wits. But later, as they grew in their faith, they said, that was kind of, a, that was kind of weird. Another guy said to me this week, he, <laughs> I was talking to him about this stuff, and he said, yeah, you know, um, I, 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 uh, my sister became a Christian because uh, I called her up. Uh, she was a student at Stanford, and he called her up and said, hey, I just read this book. Jesus is going to return. You, you don't know him. You're going to go to hell. You need to be saved. And so she accepted Christ. Now, he looks back now and goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, but I'm so glad she accepted Christ. Uh, and she is too, but she said, you know, go, looking back, that was just not the way to do it. You were, impl- you were, you were imposing a, a chronology on something that was, imp- imp- you know, absolutely theological, something that was so important that time can't even contain it, and yet it happens in time. So when you read the book of Revelation, this apocalypse, apocalypsis, what does that mean? It just means an unveiling, a revealing. That's why it's called Revelation. It's essentially the book of Ascension and Parousia. Because when you read Revelation, nothing in Revelation has anything to do with anything if you don't know that there's an ascension and you learn there's a parousia. Does this help you? Because if you read the book of Revelation and you try to understand it chronologically, you're on a fool's errand. You're trying to do something that cannot be done. But if you read Revelation as a mind-boggling, think of it as impressionistic art, the most beautiful music you've ever heard. You don't know exactly how to describe it, but it moves you deeply, and it gives you hope. Revelation is this profound revelation, uh, apocalyptic moment when, when John, the apostle, is having this vision, and he sees the outworking of the ascension of Jesus leading to the parousia of Jesus. You, you don't want to miss Revelation. You want to read it, but you don't want to try to nail it down chronologically. What you want to do is let it have its effect on you. That is, oh my God, in the best sense. It really bothers me when I hear people say, oh my God, by the way. I hope it bothers you. Oh God, oh my God. I think, I know it's become a, a vernacular, kind of a turn of phrase in our culture. But, but there's only certain moments when you, say, you should say, oh my God. And that is when you meet him. Oh my God, yes, it's me. I thought you were the gardener. Don't, don't hug me, I've, I've got to ascend. Or John, oh my God. It's you, the lamb, the lion, the lamb who was slain, the lion who reigns, uh, these beasts, these creatures, these, and, and he sees this whole panoply of things that are this revelation of God. It ties together the ascension and the parousia. It's imperative that we read Revelation and meditate on it. It's also imperative that we don't try to imp- imp- you know, impose on it a chronology that would inherently limit it. 
Let that sink in. We're people who function in time, but our context for functioning in time comes from outside of time. And if we're humble enough, we'll simply say, Lord, your will be done. I want to be watchful. But I'm not going to try to define it and describe it in ways that will inevitably try to shrink it and put it in a box. God cannot be put in a box. And so take very seriously the power of that book, Revelation, because it talks about the ascension and the parousia. Respect it so highly that you won't dare try to impose on it things that are too small to make sense of it. And so here, think of it this way. The certainty of the parousia, the age to come, can be known by anyone and everyone. Everyone can know about the ascension and the parousia. Everybody. The timing of the age to come cannot be known or surmised by anyone. The reality of the ascension and the parousia can be known by everyone and anyone. The timing of it cannot be known or surmised by anyone. This is important because what happens very quickly is we start to see patterns where there aren't patterns. We start to make connections where there aren't connections. We start to impose a very small theology in something that is so big. It's diminished after we're done with it. So Mark uh, tells us about Jesus talking to his disciples. He said this, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You have the authority of Jesus right there. Only the Father knows this. At that point, Jesus the Son, living in the context of time and space, did not know. How can he not know he's God? I guess he chose not to know. Because he was living in obedience to the Father. That's why he would say, thy will be done, not mine. Your your will be done, not mine. He was deferring to the Father. He emptied himself, becoming a servant when he was actually the king. But he says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. The guy keeping watch doesn't say, well, tell me all your plans. Exactly when will you be back? That's beyond his pay grade. He's simply one who's been called and assigned to watch. The joy, the power, the anticipation is that your master will return. He's made a promise that he will keep. You don't need to know any of the details. You need to be faithful for the task you've been given, expectantly anticipating his return. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. I hope you're watching. I hope you're being alert to the fact that Jesus could return at any time. He might return tonight, today. He could return tomorrow, next week. It could be beyond our lifetimes. We don't know. We need to be faithful and we need to watch. The early church, in some cases, said he's got to come back right away in this first generation. And some were very disappointed when he didn't. And some people say, well, see, that's a criticism. These people didn't really know what was going on. And they, they're the equivalent of the radio preacher saying Jesus is coming back. He didn't. It all falls apart. No, it doesn't fall apart. What falls apart always is our attempt to contain God. 
So Luke captures the essential unity of Jesus' ascension in Parousia in his book called The Acts. Luke, the physician, uh, writes a book to uh, writes a letter, a document for his friend Theophilus uh, to say, "Here's how it all comes together." Now, Luke had done all the investig- investigative work uh, to bring all these facts together. He, no doubt, had interviewed everybody, you know, Mary, uh, all the apostles who were living, uh, anybody who was there. And so he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So this is the Gospel of Luke. Now he's writing Acts. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, he's anticipating what we know as Pentecost. So at the end of 40 days, there's, so the resurrection, day one, Pentecost um, uh, is day 50, but his ascension is day 40. Okay, so you see where this goes. It's a very short period of time. And he's giving them the timing they need to know. He's giving it to them in the context of what he's going to do and what they should be watching for. Are you watching, again, are you watching for the things God is doing in your life? When you pray, do you actually expect an answer? You should expect an answer every time you pray. Yes, no, not now. We don't know what the answer is going to be, but we need to watch. Because usually God's answers are much more developed than the ones we requested. They involve many more uh, components, many more people, many more situations. And so you pray for healing. And it turns out that at the end of your life, uh, you, 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 you know, this short period of illness, you feel like, hey, I'm, I haven't been healed. You don't know how God healed you in ways that you'll only realize later and how he touched other people's lives through you. And if you are healed, you might say, oh, my prayer was answered. Yeah, you still don't know all the implications of how it was answered. You see the power of this? Watching, being alert. Well, he tells them this, and then right away, they go back to timing. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Restore the kingdom to Israel. It all becomes about Israel now, a geopolitical entity. Yes, it was a theological thing. It was a promise to Abraham to bless people through these people. But at this point, it's now a kingdom. It's its 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 own little self-contained Israel. Do we get it back or not? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority. This is so Hebraic. You answer a question with a, a question. Will you do this? Why do you ask? Is a sense what's going on here? It's about the Father's authority that you should be concerned, not the timing and what it means for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? Now, on the face of it, it seems like a silly question. 
Are you kidding me? We were just talking to somebody and they disappeared. Why wouldn't we be doing this? And, and part of what is going on here, of course, is there's something bigger at play here than how Jesus got uh, ascended. The other part would be if these people come from outside of time and they're saying, okay, this is we, from using scientific language, not that science is our answer to anything, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, a description of things, it's that he moves into a different space-time reality. So it's not like necessarily up into heaven. It's that he leaves and they're saying, okay, that's the only thing they could, that's the only reference they had was, it must go up toward what they thought was heaven. We would say, well, it was just him leaving and a cloud covered it. So they don't quite know really what's going on, but they're looking up. And these messengers, these presumably angels, want to give them a larger frame of reference, right? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? I think he just told you to be watchful and go do some stuff. So the the angel says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All of a sudden the ascension is linked to the parousia. He's leaving and he will return. Meanwhile, there's much for you to do and you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to do it. But why did Jesus leave for the Holy Spirit to come? Until he was seated on high, until he was... uh, you know, ascended into heaven and ruling all creation, uh, there was, in a sense, a limit to what the Holy Spirit would do. The Holy Spirit has always existed. You see the Holy Spirit moving throughout the Old Testament, the Ruach of God. So the Holy Spirit is not a new concept. The Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit now takes on full significance as Jesus ascends to his rightful place as ruler of all things. So how did the disciples hear this? Initially, it's, hey, we get power. The ring will be returned to us. It's like Gollum saying, now the ring will be mine. The love of power and the fear of power is a defining human characteristic, wouldn't you agree? The love of power and the fear of power. Now, some of you have been in situations in your life where you were given power and it freaked you out. The burden of power was overwhelming to you. You didn't know what to do with it or you were afraid of what you do with it. Too much responsibility, too many people asking you questions, giving you criticism. Uh, everybody wants to be a leader until they are. Because once you discover, once you are a leader, you discover that everybody thinks they're a better leader. And, and, and they have a point of view, a rightful point of view, but you can't possibly cope with all that. And so what does power do? It often, often devolves into something abusive. I don't have to listen to you. I'm the boss over you. Every little kid learns that. You're not the boss of me. Five-year-olds will say it to six-year-olds, hey, you know, you're not the boss of me. And of course, there's no answer to that except for a slug. Oh yeah, take this, bam. The love of power and the fever of power. In Jesus ascending, we see something bigger and better than the love of power. We see the power of love. And that's just not an artful turn of phrase. The love of power is very different than the power of love. It's like saying, God is love, but love is not God. The power of love is to save and to serve, to honor and to bless. That's the power of love. The love of power is control and to do whatever I can to preserve my power, to advance my power, to diminish those who would threaten my power. And there's so many examples of this. I won't pick on Putin this week. It's so obvious. But how about in your house? 
How about your occasional abuses of power? Because I said so. Because I can. And you, you, you put that into the whole fabric of a culture, a society. And instead of the power of attraction, hey, wouldn't it be great to drive this kind of car? It's the power of coercion. You will not drive that kind of car. You'll drive this kind of car. But where did that come from? Uh, the mask thing this week. Everybody is freaking out that finally the coercive power of government is over. Well, somebody else would say, that's not the coercive power of government. That's the blessing of leadership that's telling us to be safe. Where does it land, right? And so this is where we get so confused about what power looks like. For one person, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve you and to help you. For another person, it's, don't tell me what to do. Ultimately, the power of love is vindicated in that it's about saving and serving, honoring and blessing. And once you get over your huffiness, you might say, wow, actually, they were, they were really doing me a favor. I thought about, I thought about this, I thought about this, uh, this week when I was in Cub Scouts. And there's this Cub Scout leader who wanted to take some of us boys camping. My mom said, no, you can't go. I was a kid. I was camping, going hunting with friends and family members. She said, I couldn't go on this camping trip. I was so bummed out. I was so frustrated. Only years later did I realize that guy was a pervert who wanted to prey on boys. I'm thinking, my mom saved me through her authority. She knew I didn't have the capacity to understand her concerns, so she didn't bother explaining them to me. She just said no. Now, she was the person who would always find a way to say yes and to bless you. And if she said no, it was for a very good reason, even if she wouldn't tell you. The power of love. So ascension and parousia released the power of God's love in Jesus Messiah. I love the way Romans says it. If you read Romans 8 from the standpoint of the ascension and the, and the promised parousia, it all of a sudden comes alive in a way that it, it doesn't just if you read it as a good thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, he ascended into heaven, and he will return in glory. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Yeah, now he's ascended on high, ruling over all things. He's releasing the power of the Spirit. He's releasing the resources of God's kingdom. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Nobody. Nobody has the authority. He's the highest authority. He says, you're forgiven. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Is it the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Do you see the power of the ascension embedded in this passage? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now that he's ascended, nothing and no one can separate us. It's no longer a headline, it's a lifeline. We are in his grip. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword do any of those discount and undermine the power of God at work in this world? No, they do not. We don't understand why he lets us go through those. We understand from the standpoint of a fallen world that these things happen, but why did he let us go through those? It's part of that mystery of the ascension and the parousia. We'll only know then what we don't quite know now. But the answer for Paul is no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This only possible because of his ascension. 
If you won the lottery and you couldn't find a ticket, do you get the money? No. And so for what purpose? For what purpose do we have this power of Christ in us? To lord it over others? No. To love others in his name. With the love that he is giving us as we learn to walk with him in truth and grace. To be his witnesses, to make disciples, to fulfill our mission under his lordship. So here's why Jesus' ascension to Parousia make that possible in a paradigm. Three, three basic things. One, Jesus' ascension commences his rule. Jesus' ascension commences his rule. He was qualified for it through the resurrection. Now he commences to it through his ascension and his parousia completes it. It is finished, he could say on the cross. His earthly mission was finished and fulfilled. But the ascension now puts him in a place of ultimately culminating the promises of God to redeem his whole creation. His parousia completes what his ascension commences. So Jesus reigns and Jesus will return. Heaven is coming to us. A new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't have time to go into this next thing I'm going to say. I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm trying to just put it in proper context. Will there be a rapture? I think not. I know there will be a resurrection. Why do I even bother pointing that out? Because the rapture is a concept from the 19th century of American fundamentalism. The rapture takes biblical content and, and, and tries to put too much detail on it that then becomes an end in itself a point of contention, is it pre-millennial, you know, pre-millennial amillennial, post-millennial, is it, you know, all, what, what's going on here? All the language that we see that people can, you know, would say, okay, that's about the rapture. All the language is, we will be reunited with Christ. I wish I had time to unpack all the language there, because ultimately what it is, is um, it's a bit of a head fake. The point of, of this, his ascension and parousia is our resurrection. It's not about a rapture. It's about Jesus' return. And the language of rapture is, is a really the best people can come up with to say, we're going to somehow greet him. And we're going to recognize him. Don't get hung up on those kinds of things. If somebody tries to pull you into an argument about the rapture, or are you premillennial, or whatever, just say, you know what? Those things are so unimportant to me. I'm in Christ, and I'm watching and alert for Christ. Will there be a rapture? I don't think so, but I believe we will simply be resurrected in Christ. And all the confusing, colorful language that, that we see in a few places, in a few passages, will all of a sudden come together and go, okay, okay, I get it. We're united, raptured? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that language has been imposed on something much bigger that God is doing. So Jesus' ascension commences his rule and, com- and this parousia completes it. Secondly, Jesus is Lord over all creation forever and ever. Jesus is Lord over all creation forever and ever. I'll simply read you Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Was he created? Was he born? No. That's the word prototokos. It just means um, the first. Uh, if you're the firstborn, uh, you're the one who inherits everything. Uh, if you're in English context, English culture, the firstborn inherits it all. 
You become king. The second born uh, probably becomes a military officer. And the third one, there's nothing left over for them. They're stuck being a minister. <laughs> Pretty much how it works in Great Britain. The prototokos is Lord, what's his name? Uh, I remember one time we, we were, we were um, wa- walking through the House of Lords with a friend of a friend who had be- become a friend of ours, more of an acquaintance really. But he said, hey, if you're in London, let's have lunch together. I'll walk you through the House of Lords. He's, he was a Lord. And so he had a name, but he's also Lord Craythorne. And so as we're walking through the House of Lords, Megan, who's 10, says, hey, how did you become a Lord anyway? And she was thinking he must have done some chivalric, amazing you know, thing, jousting, dragon killing, whatever. And he said, well, actually, Megan, I just inherited it from my father. And she's like, what? That's how you do it? And it's kind of like she looks at me like, okay. <laughs> no, she didn't. Prototokos, he's the first. He's not contained as one made or, or created, but he's the first. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn again, the prototokos from the dead. We shall all rise from the dead. That rising might be called a rapture, but really ultimately it's us rising and him meeting us to resurrect us. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is what we see fulfilled in the ascension. All the fullness of God is now in Christ. It was in his earthly ministry and now to a greater degree. How do you become more full? I guess you have a larger capacity. Every 16-year-old I've ever met who's in love is full. In their 16-year-old capacity, they are full. And five years later, they go, who was that girl again? Who's that boy I thought I was going to live my whole life with? So the fullness of God filling the whole universe is in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The third thing then is that Jesus vindicates God's wisdom. Heaven and earth are united in Christ. How is it that Jesus, his his ascension, vindicates God's wisdom? Well, because it looked pretty crazy that God would do what he did. Why would God do what he did? He didn't have to do what he did. He chose to do what he did. You know, you talk to people who resist putting their faith in Christ because they don't think it's wise. They think God has a pretty lame plan. If it's so right, how come this? If it's, so, if it's so trustworthy, how come that didn't happen? Or these things continue to happen. Jesus vindicates God's wisdom. Heaven and earth are reunited in Christ. We now live in the power of his ascension and the promise of his parousia. That's real power and a real promise. We look up because Christ is risen and reigns on high. We look around because he's called us to be alive and alert to his presence. And we look forward because he's bringing all things to completion, including us. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, we, don't even, we can't even imagine what we're going to look like in our resurrected bodies. What we do know and what we should, uh, what, what do we know and what should we do in response to what we know? Well, we understand that faith, hope, and love are, are verbs, not just nouns. We do faith, we do hope, we do love. 
the, the, the church in America has reduced faith, hope, and love to nouns. Nouns can set us up to be passive spectators. Verbs put us in the game. Verbs, as you know, are active. They're action-oriented. We learn to do faith. We learn to exercise hope. We learn to live in love and express it. They're fantastic nouns, but they're really meant to be verbs. Faith is a big thing, but the way we experience it is, is a verb. We're supposed to engage in it. Hope is a big, wonderful concept, but the verbal aspect is that we get to actually do hope. Faith, hope, and love, right? Heaven isn't compensation for suffering and sacrifice. It's the context for it. This is another tweaky thing of, 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 um, of American theology. Heaven is compensation. Heaven is not compensation. Heaven is a context. You are living in the context of heaven right now. God doesn't owe us anything. Heaven isn't the payoff for going through the misery of being a human being. This is super important that we understand this. Heaven is what God brings to us through his ascension and ultimately culminates in a new earth through his parousia. So this is the context for how we deal with anything in life. It's not the compensation. We, we don't live a postponed life. Why am I going through this stuff? Oh, it'll only make sense in heaven. Well, maybe it only makes sense in heaven, but it really can make sense right now. It's supposed to make sense right now. That you can turn to God in the midst of all the horrible things you might be experiencing. The fears, the frustrations, the indignities of life. It's the context for experiencing His power and His promise right now. Jesus has ascended and we have His power to prevail and persevere right now. It won't be the, the complete version of it, but it's powerful and effective right now. It's efficacious, right? You take a drug and you ask, does it have efficacy? Can it do what it's designed to do? Yeah. It might not cure you. It might not reduce you to a person 20 years younger and 20 pounds lighter, but it's got efficacy. And so we understand that Jesus will return in glory, creating a new heaven and a new earth. So what do we do with that? Life is a gift. That's what we do with it. We understand that life is a gift, so let's assume we're alive right now because Jesus is still working in us and through us. Why are you alive right now? Well, because people live to be about 80 or 90 or 100. No, not always. You're alive right now because Jesus wants to work in you and through you. That's the only reason you're alive. Billy Graham, at the end of his life, suffering, 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 he said, why, Lord, take me, take me now. And his prayer for the last few years of his life was, Lord, take me. I want to go. I'm ready. And of course, being Billy Graham, his prayer was also, not my will, but yours be done. You know, you know if you're watching a dear loved one who knows the Lord suffering through anything, Lord, just take them. A, a lady uh, a year or so ago called me up and said, hey, I'm going to meet the Lord next week. I said, really? How do, what does that mean? And she was telling me she's going to take her life. She all arranged it. It's legal, medical. She's going to take her life. I said, but it's not yours to take. I said, I understand the reason for that. Uh, I would want to be, I'd, I'd, I'd want to do that too. But we have to defer to God. Yeah, but I'm ready. You're right, but he's not ready. He'll call you when, you're, when, you're, when he's ready. He still has a work to do in you and through you. Right, but I don't want to be one of those people depending on people. Guess what? We're already those people. <laughs> we are people who depend on people. 
And we had this long, 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 long conversation. I sent her some stuff to read. I prayed with her. She said, well, thank you for your input, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay. I don't doubt that she went and the Lord received her. She just went home too early. God is not done with us. That's why we're alive. Are you paying attention to the life you're living? And your aches and your pains and your uncertainties and your disappointments. This is a very big deal. Jesus is still working in us and through us. Why do we know that? Because of the ascension. Let's study his word to know and do his will and be prepared to assist others to know and do it. Let's use whatever resources we have to bless the people God brings into our life. I don't have much. Whatever you have, use that. You have words. I'm losing my speech. Well, smile. I can't smile anymore. Squeeze their hand. I mean, come up with something. Your presence is a blessing. Everybody I know who's ever taken their life, I've, 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 I've thought if their loved ones could say, should I, if, if they called their loved ones and said, should I, what do you think, should I end it now? The loved ones would say, this is a really hard thing to go through for all of us, but no, please don't. This present life is impermanent, but God is preparing us for eternity. Therefore, today matters. Today matters. Don't miss today. If you're playing golf, play it as a gift from God. Well, that's a waste of a day. No. It's a, it's a long walk for no apparent purpose, yes. But um, if, you're doing, if you're cooking, if you're gardening, if you're reading a book, if you, you don't have to justify what you do. Just do it as if, Lord, this is part of who I am in you. You give me the capacity to experience life fully. I'm, I want to be aware of you. Changing baby's diapers is a perfect time to pray for the baby. Cooking food is a perfect time to pray for the people who will be eating it. Standing in line at Vons or wherever your shop is a perfect time to pray for the person feeling oppressed by checking out groceries all day. You follow what I'm saying? This present life is impermanent, but God is preparing us for eternity. Therefore, today matters. Why? Because of the ascension and because of the parousia. I leave you with a scripture from Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, that cannot be shaken. Let's be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Lord, I get to play golf, tennis today. Lord, I get to do this today. I get to, Lord, it's you. Thank you. Help me be alert and aware of what you're doing in me and around me. You see the power of that? You're on your bed, on your back, hooked up to machines, and all of a sudden you're still a person with agency. Because God is working in you and through you. Lord Jesus, this is our prayer that we could be those people. When things are at their worst or when things are at their best, when everything is going perfectly well and when things are absolutely falling apart, we want to be aware of you, your presence, your promise. It all counts. It all matters now and forever. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. So this is your time to just simply offer yourself to the Lord. Uh, If you want to make contributions, please make contributions. You can put money in the box. You can send it in. But right now, this offering is about you offering yourself to Him as, as the music plays. You can sit and listen to it. You can stand up and sing. Whatever allows you to offer yourself to God, you have the freedom and the permission to do that.
Yeah. The highest, the best for you, for me. Uh, if we can pray for you uh, before you leave today, go right out around the corner to the front of the, the building. There's a beautiful prayer garden. and There'll be there, uh, people there to pray with you for whatever concerns you or others you're concerned for. We'll pray for you. If we can help you take that first step to, to walk with Christ, we want to help you do that. Uh, if you need help getting back on track, we'd love to help you do that. If you're ready for the next challenge in your faith and you're kind of plateaued and wondering if uh, boredom is part of God's spirit. No, it's not. It's just the inevitable sign that you're ready for more. We'd like to help you do that. However we can help you grow and get connected to a community, we want to help you do that. Uh, this is what it looks like to walk with Christ in community with the Holy Spirit in us and the people of God around us, the Word of God in front of us. You have a mission and a ministry. Do not miss it. You're going through a phase in life. Don't miss it. You're in a stage or season in life. Don't miss it. He's in the middle of it with you. Join us for um, conversations. We're going to take a little break out there, get something to eat and drink, and uh, we're going to come back in here and have a 45-minute conversation around a couple of different very short videos. It's really, really fun. Uh, we've had about 80 people go through it. Uh, we'd love you to be part of that. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you, reflecting his glory in you lighting the way before you. May the Lord give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.